we're back again on County Live. It feels like a while, but it hasn't really been that long, has it? It's not really been that long. In fact, it's been um, less than a well. It's, it's been a week, but it, it's a really fast week with new players coming in, with um, breaking news seemingly on a daily basis. It just seems to go really quickly. But uh, we're back here again, and I'm I'm giddy for tonight, Martin. You are giddy. There's so much content. We've just we've just been putting out so much content in lockdown, but. Um, you know, without boasting too much, it has been fantastic. But tonight, a real, real coup again. You've got the man himself. You've got Alan Armstrong. Oh, mate, like I, this is this is one of my favourite players of all time. You know, when I'm when I'm a little kid going to Stockport County and I'm seeing this this striker up front with the cool blonde hair and think of nineties. Think of that stereotypical. What does a nineties person look like? Curtains, baggy Adidas, trackies, all the rest of it. Um, that's him. Right there, and uh, I'm just I'm amazed that we got him on. And what I'm amazed by, I'm amazed at how cool he is. The way he speaks, everything, his stories to tell, everything about his demeanour is just cool. And I'm just amazed and delighted that we've got him on this week. Well, here is Chris's interview with the legend that is Alan Armstrong. Alan Armstrong, Stockport County legend. Welcome to Stockport County Life. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you doing? No, I'm good, thanks. It's a little bit strange times, obviously, but uh, all good at the minute. Do you know what? It is It, it is weird times, and we've had a few players on recently, and we've kind of started uh, with that talking point throughout, you know, how's, uh, how's lockdown been, how's quarantine been? I've got to say, um, I might put you on the spot here a little bit, I'm suffering from lockdown haircut, it needs to happen. Uh, <laughs> yours looks immaculate. And I've got to say, from a guy who during the 90s had the most 90s hairstyle ever, you're looking, you're looking remarkably trim. It, it wasn't till a couple of days ago because <laughs> my sister-in-law's a hairdresser. So we managed to obviously create your bubbles and yeah. she's come down and managed to cut everyone's hair. So it's before this, it was horrific, believe me. Uh-huh. So it was, uh, I needed it done desperately. Was it was it anything like the days in the nineties where you were bringing back the long blonde? It was really long. It had the curls at the back, the curls at the front. It was honestly, but I've just it's full of grey now, as you can see. That's what uh, yeah. management does to you. So. I'm got, I'm going that way myself. It's fine. Uh, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got I've got to say obviously before we start getting into the the realms and histories of Stockport County, let's talk about yourself for a moment and and where we've been in the last few months or where you've been. Obviously, feel free not to to divulge information that, that's relevant to your football club. But as a manager working through COVID and quarantine and furlough and just the whole business that's been going around, how have you found it? Extremely tough. Uh, I think every manager will probably say the same during this time. This is normally your busiest time. You want to meet players. You want to try and sell the club to players. But you're stuck on furlough. I had a week off furlough where the club took us off for a week to get all the players re-registered and re-signed for next season. But trying to get players signed now is is, is tough because, as it stands, I'm still on furlough and I can't speak to the players until it until I can come off that. So it's extremely tough, frustrating, because um, you want to get back at it. And my players are frustrated. They want to get back into training. So it's, it is a really strange time. Um, I've spoken to a, f- a few former county players who are now... Uh, in coaching or in management in, in one form or another. Um, Mike Flynn, former teammate, Andy Priest, yeah. um, 
not sure if you ever played with Precy, but there's a few of these guys, they're saying it's it's so difficult not being able to speak to players and some managers are trying to work a way around it, but it's just not really possible. As a manager, how can you keep tabs on your players? I mean, again, if you can't talk about it, I get it, but just as an overview, without naming names or anything, have you? can you just not I speak to them I still speak to the players because I have a good relationship with the players who so still get texts from them and still speak to them, see how they're going. There's no harm in doing that. And the, every single one of them are jumping at the bit to get back. But it is mm-hmm. so frustrating. You see, you can't speak to them. You, you, they're dying to meet up. Can we not meet up in a group of six and do some training? But again, staff's on furlough. Some of the players are on furlough. So it, it's it's such a difficult time at this moment in time. But Everyone's the same. Like you said, everyone's the same. It's, it's, everyone's in the same boat. There's nothing you can do about it. You've just got to get on with it and deal with the hand you've got. What have you made of um, of the Premier League and, and other football leagues being played behind closed doors in empty stadiums with this fake fan noise? Listen, it's not for me. I can't get into it. I mean, you've played, you played at these high levels. What, what do you make of it? It's... It's no surprise that the top teams are just winning comfortably. It's not because of the top players. They don't need the energy. They don't need the crowd behind them to make them perform. They've got the top, top players. It's like training for them. It's so easy and so comfortable for them. Whereas when they get the fans on the back, they might not like that as much. But the top, top players, you've seen them, the cities, Man United, Liverpool, the stroll in the park for them. Where you look at the lesser teams that have done magnificent, the Sheffield United's teams like that, you look at where the where they were before the lockdown, you look at them mm. now, and the energy of the fans and need that to keep them going. So it's it's no surprise that the top teams are coming out on top. But I'm not a fan of it. I think it's it's boring to watch. It's it is just mm. like a training game, to be honest with you. But suppose we've I'd rather that than what they've done in the National League and the leagues below, where they've just yeah. finished hitting points per game, which is false. And obviously county's been a Massive, it's hit them massively, and that it, it, it hit my team myself in it because I still believe we would have gotten the playoffs and county would have probably gotten the playoffs. So it, it has hit everyone, but you've just got to you've just got to get on with it. Unfortunately, it's we should have probably waited and just played the games later on and started the new I, season when this one was finished. I think I, I, I do get the the line, if you like, whatever whatever way they go with it, there will be a team that it feels hard done by and there'll be another team that celebrates and whatever. But have you spoken to many many people in the, the lower league scene or the non-league scene? Um, uh, is that the general consensus that, that maybe this could have... And again, don't say anything if you think it might get you into hot water, but could it have been done a little differently? Like, like you said, it could have been... Could have been done so many different ways, but I look at the teams that have been promoted and the teams in the playoffs now that they haven't actually won that. They literally have not won it. They've been given mm. it because of the day at this moment in time, and it's points per game. I see the last ten games of the season is the most important games of the season. Yeah. Not the first ten; it's the last ten. It's when I was up at Blythe last year. We, we I think we got twenty six points out of ten last ten games and end off in the highest ever position, finishing in the playoffs. And that's what happens. Sometimes you can deal with it. Some teams can, some teams can't. But it's, like I said, it's hard because what other way could they have done it? Null and void. (laughs) Null and void. It kills everyone. But in reality, no one's... The only team that's won something this year is Liverpool. 
for me. There's yeah. no one else won anything. They've just been given it on on merit. What they might not have won it. They might have won it. No one knows. So it's it's a little bit false, but what can you do? You just got to get on with some of the decisions. Have been absolutely laughable, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think we're still getting laughable ones in the National League now, so we can't we can't really be surprised at what's going on. Yeah, we are where we are, I suppose. Let's let's have a look uh, forward. I mean, do you think there'll be much of an impact when when see when play does resume? Um, if it if it's in August, if that can't happen in September or October, just whenever it happens behind closed doors or not, do you do you see that? There have been a lot of change in the way that the non-league, certainly the non-league scene operates, given that I think a lot of clubs, I mean, you mentioned Liverpool and Man United, they can survive without the fan revenue. Do you think it will be a different scene without that, that ticket money coming in? We couldn't survive. We're at Darlington couldn't survive without the, the gates coming through the door. The fan owned. They need the, the gate money to survive week in, week out. That's the way this club is. So there's no way that our club could do it. And I'm sure nine clubs out of 10 in the in the National League couldn't do it mm. unless there was some kind of monetary value coming from above. But will that happen? No one knows. It's, it's the unknown that is the scary thing. No one knows exactly how it's going to be, what's going to happen. There's talks about maybe splitting the leagues. And if, if we can't get it started in September, October, but maybe January and having to split the leagues again into a north-south divide. Now it's it's a nightmare for a manager at this moment in time trying to plan anything. You can't play yeah. your coach, your training sessions, pre-season. You you just can't do anything. So it's a new one, and it's like I'm in the same boat as many other managers. It is extremely difficult. But you, like you said, you've just got to get on with it and try your best. But I think there's going to be big changes coming up, and then especially in the non-league when you look at it at this moment in time because. I think they have been in, hung out to dry a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people there that will sympathise with you. Um, and I get, I've got to say, if, I, if I'm honest, I do agree. But at the same time, if I was in p- the position of Barrow or Kingsley or whatever, uh, I, I can imagine that I probably would disagree. So we'll, we'll, we'll move exactly. on. Exactly. No, everyone, everyone's got their opinions on that. And yeah. Paul said would say that. But you look at you look at Notts County were flying, Harrogate were flying. And yeah. the, they were, we played against Harrogate and they were a really good side. And then you look at our league where you had York were top of the I league. Mean, York City. York. <laughs> they haven't gone up, so... <laughs> You've got a feel for them. But... Yeah, it's, no, I it think... is, It's just so strange and it's so difficult for everyone. I wouldn't want to make the decision. I wouldn't want to be one of those oh, people no. who make the decision because yeah. you've got to get stick wherever you can. So Exactly. I'm, I'm more than happy to pass comment on it, <clears throat> but I don't want to respond to it. <laughs> Let's let's move forward by looking back. We're here with Stockport County Live. Um, I think when I say one of my favourite players, possibly my favourite player of all time is Alan Armstrong, I reckon that there would be somewhere between 90 and 100% of fans a similar age to me who would agree with that that statement. Um, so let's let's start at the beginning. I don't, I don't want to big you up too much. I don't want to build you up too much. But let's start back at the beginning. You, you've... You joined Southport County as a young lad. We had Tony Dinning on a few weeks ago and he was saying that, that you know, he knew you at Newcastle before then and you came yeah. down together and everything else. What were your memories of, of those days, of, of when you first heard of interest for Stockport County, your first impressions of the club? Did you even want to come? I mean, I understand it's from Newcastle to Stockport. Just uh, what goes through your mind at that phase? It was a scary time, to be honest. I'd just had my first son and... Uh, 
I thought I was staying at Newcastle. Keegan said he still wanted the keepers and then everything was sorted for the following season. And I got a phone call during the summer and he said the uh, Stockport had come in. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was like, what league of Stockport? <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't know anything about them at that time because you're in this bubble as a kid, as a young footballer. You didn't think of any other clubs. You just focus on the club you are. Yeah. And I was getting little sniffs of training. Like I was training with the first team constantly up in Newcastle. But then I got that call and he said, I'll be honest, I'm scrapping the reserves. I'm doing this. I'm, doing, I'm bringing this player in, that player in. And I'm like, I haven't got a chance here. I've got absolutely no chance. And it was, I had to think about it. But when I come down there and met Danny, um, great character, absolutely unbelievable character. Um, and he said he wanted us to be a partner for Big Kev. And I never had a clue who Kev was, to be honest with you. And then you, <laughs> you, you do all your research and you look into it and you think, wow, it's it's going to be a big task. And he'd seen that they'd lost in the playoffs and that. And he wanted to get promoted. And I wanted to be part of a team that was looking to do things, not a team that's just mid-table or, or scraping around the bottom and stuff like that. So it was... A lot of changes at the club, I think, when I first come as well. We'd lost, yeah. obviously, Preci had left and I'd come in to replace Preci. And when I come in there, it was it was a massive shock, to be honest. Obviously, coming from Newcastle and then come down to Stockport. Great little stadium. They never obviously had the big, the big stand at the time. But then the training ground was probably a shock. We were trained at Cheadle. And I think there was more dog muck than anything else. So it was it was a huge culture shock. But we never had goals. Sometimes we had jumpers for goalposts. Literally, that's what it was. It was, but we had some good players there, and it was a, it was a great camaraderie between the group that was there. Great little setup. You had the leaders there, and you had some great characters there. There's there's a couple of things that you've you've mentioned there that I want to pick up on, but I, I want to start with Danny, and I find that I find that a lot of these interviews we had Chris Marston on. Uh, last week, a uh, couple of weeks ago. And even a player like Chris, who never played under Danny at County, he just knew of the impression of him and he knew, you know, that uh, he knew about him even if he if he never played with him at Stockport. And um he was speaking about well, all the players kind of speak about Danny in this this light. And I just saw it appear on your face. And as soon as you, you said his name, just this smirk appeared, this grin. It's like that was Danny's that was his infectious personality, if you want to call it that. That was him that was his spirit, his energy, whatever. Uh, every single player that speaks about him, and I don't get the impression it's just lip service, every single player that speaks about him just has nothing but great words about him. He was, he was fantastic for me, to be honest. He, I think he's seen something in me and give me confidence. You know, I was a young kid, really raw, skinny. You know, I never had any of the strength that you needed to be in that league. And I think he's seen that and he was working with us constantly in training. And that's what I loved. He would work with me on me finishing. He's telling us that he used to try himself a little, bend the ball, save foot, bend the ball in. He used to start, stay and work with us and have a manager do that who I'd hardly known him. I'd only known him a couple of months ago and he's still work and he's working with us like that. It, it gives you that little bit of a buzz and you, and you want to do well for him then. But he, he was just so funny as well, away from it. He was, he'd, he'd come out with some absolute... Corking impressions, and you just look at him. You think he's absolutely mad, but he he want he got the best out of players. He got players who wanted to play for him, and that's what I liked about him. 
Sean Connolly was on a few weeks ago and he was saying you could always tell when Danny was coming because you could hear the flip-flops coming down the, <laughs> down the corridor and, <laughs> and uh, you that's could hear when you went to shut up. He's a great character. He's, um, as I say, he helped me massively and I'll be forever grateful for that. Another name that you mentioned there was Big Kev. Now, um, I think the, the striker, the, the, certainly the strike partner that, that your name is so often remembered with is, is Brett Angel. And we'll speak about Brett in a little while. But, uh, but, but Kev was there but when, when you came. And obviously Kevin, I mean, he's, I think he's the only striker that, that may rival you <laughs> um, as a fan, yeah. the fan favourite over the years. He's such a cool hero down uh, in Stockport. What, what are your memories of, of playing with Kev? He was training, he was probably one of the worst, to be honest with you, Kev, but he was brilliant to play with. But as a young kid for me, it was perfect. It was I was perfect foil for him. He was perfect for me because he's six foot seven. Sometimes it took two centre-halves to deal with him. So I was allowed to just play my own game. I was allowed to run all over the place, make the channel runs. Kev was always going to win the flick-ons, so I could always run in behind and get on to the end of his flick-ons. So it was was so a lot easier for me as a young kid having someone like that. It was it was massive because it mm. it just gave me a chance to develop my game and actually grow physically as well as understand the game. But it was it was massively important to have someone like that because he was a great lad as well. That's what was great about Kevin is he was a really good lad and he would look after you if you were in a little bit of a rough and tumble when someone he'd He'd come across and leave one in nine times out of ten. So he he, he was different class like that, Kev, and he had a hell of a career when you look at him. He's mm. uh, he was always going to get his injuries. I think me and him got more injuries than anyone else between them. But uh, no, he was a good lad, and as I say, he scored so many goals for Stockport, so he's rightly up there. When when people look at Alan Armstrong, when people think about county memories and and you know the the best times, the glory times. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is that is that ninety six, ninety seven season. I won't ask you about that in a moment. But what what was your what was your impressions or what were your memories of of the time in between joining and the ninety six, ninety seven season? Because that's a couple of years. Um, yeah. You've really kind of you've built your roots, if you like, within the club, and <clears throat> I think that's when you probably get the impression that a your career is 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 going somewhere here. B, the club yeah. are going somewhere here, and you know you're making that foundation. It's obviously not just a one season stop off now. Um, yeah. What, what what are your memories there in, in that kind of time? There was a lot of change when I first come in. Obviously, we had players that had been there a long time. We had Franny Wardy, um, Dino, and there was loads of other players that had been there for a long time. And obviously, Kev Kev moved on, and then Danny moved on, and yeah, we all had Dave Jones in charge. So it there was a lot of changes, but what I did see coming in once Dave got in charge was some unbelievable footballers start coming to the club. Some real good quality footballers. Like you mentioned Mazza, Tom Bennett, John Jeffries, you know, Kieran Durkin. Absolutely different class players and you knew you were going to get better and better. And that was the thing. The club was going somewhere and I always look back at that time. Yes, I left to join Mills when listen, it was because I I had to use the Northeast Club and stuff I like don't that, think you need to I don't think you need to explain <laughs> that. I don't think you, was, everyone gets that. It's fair, completely uh, fair enough. But there was other lads that, that had left as well, do you know what I mean? But I think if we'd kept that team together that got promoted, I do believe that 
that that squad that we had and we would have probably strengthened could have gone on and done something because you look at yeah. it, you had Jonesy and Gold, Toddy, Sean Connolly, Pliny at the back there, and you had Mazan, Tom in midfield. It was just gone from strength to strength. It was, was some fantastic players there. You had Tony there as well. So it was an unbelievable squad at that time. Probably the best Stockport's probably ever had, to be honest with you, that squad. But um, I loved my time there. I really did. And I, I would have probably, I was probably gone, I was gone to Southampton, to be honest with you. Probably, mm. I don't know if a lot of Stockport fans know this. I'd, I'd agreed terms with Southampton. The fee had been agreed and everything. But then I got a phone call to say that Brian Robson was putting a bid in. And I was away, like a shot. Dave Jones obviously was a Southampton manager at the time. So I ended up buying Dave off in Gunter Mills. I wasn't too happy to say the least. But now it was then two years. Was it was, as I say, it was a culture shock at the start, by the way, because we went on that army camp. I remember the army camp really well. And that oh, was wow. horrific getting up at six o'clock in the morning. I can't remember where the camp was, but they used to get well in the barracks. He was banging on the door, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, getting on five, six mile runs in the morning. And I'm like, what is this? It was... Was, it this, was, a Danny, was this a Danny thing? Was this it was a Danny, Danny thing? thing. Uh, it, I think it might have been a Danny Anna thing. It was horrific. Honestly, I couldn't stand it. It was horrific. But it just... One of them things, it, it was a learning curve for you. You didn't see it at the time, but it was just to get the group together and everything and all a new group. And it was all brand new, but it was... You look back at them times and they were fantastic because obviously you worked hard during the day, but you had a good night on the night time as well. So it was... Uh, Definitely a learning curve at that time, but it was, them two years were fantastic. It was a lot of change in personnel, like I said. Um, but it was it just went from strength to strength, the club, while I was there. Um, Brett Angel was speaking the other week, and he said one thing that he thought was really good um, from the transition of players that were under Danny that then went on to Dave Jones was Danny brought in a lot of players that had played at a high level um, as oh. youngsters, and we're desperate to get back to that higher level. You know, they, they wanted to, you know, yourself included. Um, you've been at right. Newcastle, you want to get back to, a, to, you know, Premier League football as, as soon as possible. And then Dave Jones, like you just say, then the players coming in around you, um, you, you see yourself, okay, as a team, we're improving. Therefore, as a player, I am improving. And, and that is the path that you want to walk down. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, definitely. As I say, I think this it was like a start again for Stockport when I first come with it. Like Danny did, the players he was bringing, me, Tony, Michael Oliver, were all youngish lads. I think I think it was Kevin Slynn as well. I think he'd come in as well. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of other younger lads. And I wasn't ever guaranteed a place in the team when I first come. It was me and other people to try and get alongside Big Kev. Kev was guaranteed his spot. It was whoever was good enough to play in that game. But... I think I remember the first friendly we had was might have been against Cheadle Town, I think. And I think I scored seven. It was similar. And it was it just took off from there. I think we won about 11 or something and I scored seven. It was something stupid like that. And <laughs> that's that's what it was. He brought these young, hungry lads in who wanted to prove a point. And that yeah, was a big no. thing for me is that. But then we went, like you said, then he started adding quality to that. You got you were getting the best with the young lads who want to prove themselves. Then you start adding quality, which helped them even more. Let's let's move on to that ninety six ninety seven season. The the <clears throat> the unbelievable um, campaign that is just stuff of folklore, stuff of legend here in Stockport. And 
like I say, we've had a few players who who were on that season in recent weeks. We had Sean Connolly on. We've had um, Mike Flynn. We even had Louis Cavaco all over Portugal a few weeks ago. And the stories that just come out of that camp uh, are, um, as a fan, they're exactly what you want to hear. Even even what what we're talking 14, 15 years later, something like that. Um, what what when you look back on that time, what what are the favourite stories, if you like, that that you look back on and remember those days? It, it was tough for me, to be honest, because there was a lot of talk about me moving during that season. Yeah. A lot of clubs showed a lot of interest. And I, I was just thinking, I, I just want to get promoted. We had, I knew, I looked at the team and you could see we were, we were just so good in some of the games. It was just unplayable at times. And you just didn't want anyone to go. And you just think, like, everyone just stick together. We had a great group. And honestly, we had a really good group. You had the experience, you had the youth, you had the energy, and you had everyone working for each other. You see, it was a, a great group of lads that worked extremely hard for not just each other, but the manager as well. Everyone bought in what Dave and uh, Sainty brought to the table. So it was a fantastic time, but you'll, I'll just never forget that night in Chesterfield. I'll never, ever forget that night. It was my first feeling as a young professional footballer of actually winning something like that, you know, to get into the championship from where we were when I was, when I first come to that club, it, it was unbelievable that night. It was just, we just knew because we had Luton on the, on the Saturday, I think, away and we needed it. Yeah. We knew if we'd beat Chesterfield, we'd be promoted and we could just party at Luton because Luton were promoted anyway. So we knew that and we didn't, we didn't want to go to that Luton, that Luton game having to win. Because mm. we knew then were the champions was going to be tough to do that, so it was um, that night was just something special. It just had something about it, and I think we scored after five minutes, and it was just it was shots getting clear off the lane. We were missing chances. It was is is it going to happen? But the relief that night when the final whistle went it was just unbelievable. I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That one, it was just something special. It was some the. Fans that were there, it was unbelievable. It was thousands, thousands of Stockport fans there, and it, it just, it was, it was as I say, something that will live on forever. Um, when you think back to that goal, it, to, to the goal that won the game, it had to have been the Angel Armstrong partnership. It had to be. And the ball comes in um, from Alan. Uh, Brett Angel sticks it in the back of the net, and as you say, those thousands of county fans are in are in dreamland. Um, your partnership with Brett Angel, was that was that as special as it seemed to me as a fan? Because I remember thinking as a kid going to those games with, and I was at the Chesterfield game and that, that was just one case and example with Brett Angel and Alan Armstrong yeah. on the pitch. We're scoring. Simple, it's simple as that. We are yeah. scoring goals with those two on the pitch. It was. You look at some of the goals that were scored between when the link-up play were just... Sometimes it works. You just have this understanding with players. But what I liked about Brett is he, he always taught to us. He, he'd obviously come down from the top level himself, being at Sunderland and Everton. And he, he come down and he, he was always helping us. That's what there was obviously Muchy as well, Andy Much. I had two lads there that helped us massively, constantly working with me and see it, telling us what to do and listen to them. And some of the stuff that the tellers I used today, you know, you just use it on your players today because it, it worked. It worked for me and it was 
just a great understanding of what we had. Um, uh, you don't know what it, how you kind of put your finger on it. It's not as if we went into training and worked on it constantly. It's just something that works. People ran off each other. You knew where to run. You knew you just got to understand each other during the games, reading each other's body shapes and that. But it was a, it was a great time. I think it was when I scored against Southampton, probably summed it up. Brett brings the ball down on his chest, lays it to me, and I take a touch and finish it. And it was something like that. It's just so simple. Yeah, mm. Like you said, we knew that we were going to score a goal. Every time yeah. we went on the pitch, we knew we were going to score. Very rarely did we not score a goal in that season. Um, just, I'm, I'm conscious of time. We, I said 20 minutes, half an hour, and we, we're getting close oh, to yeah. that, that time already. <laughs> but um, I, I, I can't not ask you about post-county and some of the unbelievable highlights that your career um, then offered you afterwards. Um, in particular against a certain Italian side. Um, just, just if you could, just explain to us what it was like. A, the home game, getting that, that goal, that header. I mean, it's not a county memory, but as a county fan, you sit there bursting with pride, like that's our lad that's gone and done that. But then to <laughs> score in the San Siro, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure... Uh, after the game, Ronaldo was following you around asking for your shirt. At least that's, that's, a, that's the story I've I heard. But, um, <laughs> but to score in the San Siro, those two goals, I mean, it's not every day I get to speak to someone who scored against Inter Milan. Um, just describe what it's like to have that in your locker that you can pull that out of a party tip for the rest of your life. <laughs> I've done that. I've scored. See yeah, that big uh, stadium over there? I've scored there. Uh, they're going to knock it down as well, aren't they? Which is a shame. Yeah. But uh, no, it, it, obviously that's the biggest highlight of my career. Everyone knows that. That's all I get talked about. And that you forget sometimes what I've done for Stockport, what I've done for Millsrow, where we got promoted to the Premier League and I scored two in the final game of the season to get them promoted that year. And obviously Ipswich, there was other important goals I scored there. But the one that gets talked about is obviously the, the winning goal at Portman Road. And it was, it was something that you never thought was going to happen. I'd been poorly, I'd been ill, I, I couldn't train, I was thrown up every morning. It, as soon as I started training, I was thrown up, I had some kind of virus. And I wasn't even meant to be on the bench, but he put us on the bench and watching the game. Them hadn't sent a fully strength side over. Them thought it was going to be quite easy. Seeing that, they still had Toldo and Gold, they still had Zanetti playing right back, Cordoba sent a half. The bad you in midfield, so it still wasn't a bad side. What not, I had. It's not a bad B team, is it? <laughs> <It's not laughs> no, it wasn't bad at all. <laughs> I think that they're, they're what top the top team in Italy at the time as well. Uh, them in AC Milan, and I just remember George telling us to get warmed up. I got warmed up, and he said, "Look, just get the back, back stick. Just get the back stick. No one's getting to the back stick. Just get the back stick and get your head on it." And within five minutes, I think it was 10 minutes max, and Jamie Clapton gets a ball, and I just pull it to the back stick, and I, I managed to time it perfectly. It was just, it's something that you dream of as a kid, where the timing's mm -hmm. just perfect, and I caught it sweet as, and before I knew it, it's in the net, and I was off, and it was just unbelievable because I think I scared with Ipswich because I hadn't lost a, a European game at Portman Road. So it just carried on that legacy that they had, that they had at that club. But then you knew you were in a little bit of history then. And it's it's great to have that. As you say, it is great to have that. But then we did get tonked in the second leg at the San Siro. But I got my own little piece of glory by 
scoring the penalty in front of 10,000 well, Ipswich fans that weren't there. I think if you ask any Ipswich Town fans, Middlesbrough fans, uh, Stockport County fans, who the best striker on that pitch was that day, even with Christian Vieri on the pitch and even with uh, Ronaldo on the pitch, the original and best Ronaldo, by the way, uh, I think they would exactly. all... <laughs> I think they would all go with, with Alan Armstrong. And let's talk a little bit about where you are now. We spoke about it uh, at the top of the show. You're, you're a manager now. Um, how how was that transition? How did you find going from, from player? Because may, maybe I'm wrong here, but the, the trend, if you like, when you look at managers who were players and then turned into managers, mm. the more often than not defenders or central midfielders, there's not uh, yeah. a, there's not a bundle of strikers. I know that there are exceptions. So how have you found that transition as a striker moving into management? It's not something I wanted to do at all. <laughs> I, I never wanted to be a manager. I never even thought about being a manager. I didn't you didn't open your interview with that, did you? That's not <laughs> how you opened up in it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, honestly, it was just, I was, I had my own centre and I was coaching kids and working in Millsrae Academy and that's where I seen, I wanted to go to maybe 18s, 23s maximum. I didn't want to deal with senior pros and stuff like that. That's what I thought. And then it just it just happened. I got a phone call, asked to come up and be an assistant over Bly Spartans. And I thought that's not really for me. I'd rather stick with the kids. But then spoke to the wife and the family and then said, why not? Give it a go. See what it's like. And yeah. as I say, the rest is history. I get up there to be an assistant. And then 15 minutes before I get there, I get told that I'm going to be the manager because he's resigning and I'm taking over straight away and I hadn't even met the chairman so it was, <laughs> it was I was like thrust into it and it was uh, I, I still had to decide whether I was going to take it or not but I did and yeah we are I, I tended off to be I, I was sorry did it? it turned out I wasn't too bad at what I knew I knew what to do and I knew how to get the best out of the players and that's key thing for me is just getting the best out of the players What's it like coming up against a former colleague? And the, the obvious example that I'm going to point towards here is, is Jim. You and Jim enjoy immense success together as players, part of those wonderful memories, the, the Southampton game, the Chesterfield game, everything else. You're then squaring off as managers. How, how does that kind of set up? <clears throat> it's quite difficult, especially coming to Edgley Park, it was, to be honest. It, it was difficult. I've got a decent... I've got a decent record at Edgy Park as a manager. I think I've been there twice, one, twice. So I kind of complain on that one. But Jim was always going to be a manager. You could see you could see Jim was going to be a manager. It didn't matter what. And he's done fantastic. He has. He's done fantastic with Stockport. He's, he's getting them back up there. And I hope he does get them where they should be. But it's tough because you know what you're going to get from Jim's teams. Um, they're, not, they're really organised. Really, really organised. They've got the set player plans and everything. But it's, I just had a feeling that we could use what we had against them, use a pace against them and a little bit of trickery and soak a little bit of pressure up. But he's, um, it's difficult when you come up against ex-players because it, you do want to get one over them. That's a certain, you, there's that little bit more there. But uh, he's beat, he beat me twice up with um, Brock Barkley and then obviously I beat him twice down there. So it, he's... It's been good. It's good battles with him. That's a certainty. But uh, yeah. I say it's, it's fantastic that he's doing really well there at this moment in time. Uh, just coming towards the end, Al. If uh, if you could just share any memories or maybe pass on a last message or so 
um, to those Stockport County fans that, I mean, I can't recall any other game at any level ever. And I've worked in football all over the world. And I can't remember for 90 minutes the away fans singing the home side's manager's name all game. Super Alan Armstrong was, when we were at Blythe Spartans a couple of years ago, <clears throat> that's all I could hear, all game. Um, what, what are your memories or would you pass on any words to, to those county fans who, I mean, and you know this, you don't need me to tell you this, but you, you are up there with the highest of the high in regards with, with those guys. The, the fans are, were fantastic. I think even when I've got I've got a video, someone sent a video when we're in the clubhouse after the Blythe game in the Wilds. Honestly, you should have seen that we were just singing who put the ball in City's net constantly for ages. Mm-hmm. And it was just absolute bedlam in there. The, the chairman was out of the moon up with Blythe because we were spending that much money in the ball. Oh, the Stockport <laughs> fans, but no, he was he, he's a different class, as I say. They were fantastic with me while I was there, we had a great relationship. The fans, I was gutted because I always look back at it when I left. I think we were seventh at the time in the championship when I left, and then the next thing I know, I'm playing against them for Dolan and in the League Two, and I, I, I couldn't mm. believe how far they'd fallen so quick in that time. It was like How's how has this happened? It was just because obviously you lose sight when you've got your own career. You still keep an eye on the scores, but you, I never knew what was going on behind the scenes, and it must have yeah. been horrific for the fans. It really must have been because, it, as I say, they built a new stand in Ireland. You look at it. You look at the club now compared to what it was, and you just think, "Wow, how's it fell so quickly so far?" And it was mm. it's such a shame. And I, I was gutted for the fans when I seen. When we, when I was going to play against them for Blythe, I couldn't believe it. Like I didn't yeah. realise that we were getting promoted in the same league as Stockport County. It just, it was just absolutely frightening. But again, we went there and the fans were fantastic with us. And I just the message to them is thank you for everything that they give me. But without them, I probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have kicked on. It was. It's not just the support on the pitch; it was off the pitch as well. It helped massively. And there's, there's people behind the scenes like. When I moved down, I moved in when Peter Ward and his wife, Kath, them looked after us massively as a young kid. I'd, I was homesick. I'd, I'd had my first son, like I said. So Wardy was massively influential for me because he looked after me and put us up there in his house. Didn't have to. He put us up there with him, his wife and two kids and looked after us until I actually got my own place down there. So the whole place, just it was like a massive family, wasn't it? That was the thing. Hmm. The club was like a massive family and it still is. And I just hope they get back to where they should be. Um, they are lovely words. <laughs> like they, it really does have that family feel. It always did, and I think it always will. Just before I let you go, to echo that family feel. Um, now I am playing with new technology here, so bear with me right. if this doesn't work. But I, I'm hoping it does. <clears throat> just before we let you go, we do have a little message for you uh, from an old friend, um, and I would hope uh, one that you would maybe appreciate seeing a little bit i'm going to hopefully share this right um i don't know if you can see our brett there yeah. uh, hi alan your old striking partner uh i hope you're very well i pray pre-covid it's not been too bad for you and i hope you can get darlington back into the uh, areas to, to to go and play county again in that uh, conference all the very best and uh, hopefully we can catch up to your point when we're both back uh, at the county watching the county 
Ah, oh, top man. Top man. Yeah. He's he a good lad, is that? He's a good lad. He is, uh... Al, it's been, it's, been abs- it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show uh, tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've got to say, I, I think I'm going to stick to my favourite player of, of all time, my favourite county player. Certainly one that, that just kept me coming back week after week as a kid. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. No, I appreciate it. Thanks ever so much. And every county fan out there, love you all a bit and thanks for everything. So, Chris, yeah, as you were saying before the interview and you were talking about haircuts and, and baggy trackies and, and all that, I always thought, um, from the you know, from knowing Alan Armstrong and the bits I knew about him back in the day, he would have made an excellent addition to Liverpool's Spice Boys. You know, when the, those, <laughs> like, those those white suits at Wembley, you could see it, you could have seen him in one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can. I, 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 lo- think I, can. I loved your post with all these different haircuts as well. Yeah, it was cool. I was going on Insta. Uh, speaking of haircuts, Martin, look, look at our barnets <laughs> right now. I know. I I can't believe it. I mean, I'm heading to. I think you're in the same territory as me, not in terms of having hair behind your ears, but in terms of thinking, getting used to it, and thinking I might keep it. Where I've never had long hair in my life. My my missus is onto me on a daily basis now. Get it cut. Get it cut. <laughs> and. I'm just, I'm rebelling. I'm a, I'm a rebel without a haircut. It's happening. It <laughs> You're not having it. That's the the title of our alternate podcast, Rebels Without Haircuts, by the way. We haven't started it yet, but one of these days we will. But Chris, uh, Alan Armstrong, what an interview. As you said, as you said before, he's just, he's just a cool guy. He, oh, I mean, from a footballing perspective, he's a cool guy because he's played, you know, in these cult moments put the county stuff aside, which is hard to do on a podcast called Stockport County Live, but put that aside for a moment, playing up against the proper Ronaldo, Christian Vieri, the San Siro for Inter Milan, uh, Inter Milan for Ipswich, uh, the Middlesbrough story. You bring to Stockport County what happened there, you know, scoring the, the big goals and games against the, the likes of Southampton and the, the promotion season, 96, uh, 97, uh, that partnership with Brett Angel, which by the way, how cool was it having a message from Brett to Alan on the podcast, seeing those two together again? Um, as um, you know this, every week we, we say this, as a fan, I get giddy most weeks, or oh, we've got such and such a person on. To have Alan in that kind of laid-back territory, and, I, and again, I get the impression he could have gone on for another hour. I, it was almost me saying, no, no, we should leave it there now. He, um, he just inspires so much of, um, of my childhood and my early memories of County. Is is that guy, and it's just it, he is he is he is not a cool guy. He is the cool guy. <laughs> he is the guy. He's the man. We used to do the man, didn't we? On the on the well, we'll go back to it in the season, and uh, certainly over in in lockdown, he can have the man. Um, yeah, he's the man of lockdown. But you called uh, Ronaldo the old Ronaldo, the proper Ronaldo. Run that by me. Well, cut right. He Ronaldo is the proper <laughs> Ronaldo, isn't he? He's. Um, <laughs> Cristiano is a fantastic, unbelievable football player. In his absolute prime, he was the second best player currently in the world. But come on now. <laughs> there was a Ronaldo before him and who did unbelievable things as well. And in my opinion, he's the proper Ronaldo. And, and therefore, um, plus he played against Alan Armstrong. And if rumour is to be true, he followed Armstrong. He followed Alan Armstrong around the pitch for the last 10 minutes hoping to get his shirt after the final whistle. So that for me is, there's your proper Ronaldo. At the San Siro. Have you ever been to the San Siro? 
Yes, yeah. Um, I, I worked for Inter Milan and AC Milan for a few months, a couple of years back, and it was um, an unbelievable place to set up an office. And um, just to watch a few games there was incredible. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing place. I'm actually devastated that they're knocking it down. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I went once, um, I did a story for, well, I was working for Eurosport and I facilitated a story in a magazine, um, a magazine called Jack, which isn't going anymore. But we went to visit Perugia and did a little story on them because they were in Serie A. Um, God, this must have been 15 years ago. And they were such a story because they had um, they had a, a manager who was a former ultra. They had... <laughs> They had the only English player at the time in Serie A who was Jay Bothroyd. Um, the chairman had signed, tried to sign a woman and get around the Serie A rules just for publicity. And they had uh, Colonel Gaddafi's son on the goalkeeping staff as well. So it was a fan- fantastic story. And we went on the Wednesday and saw them train, met the manager, did some interviews. And then on the Saturday, they were they were playing in the San Siro. So it was a great story. Really interesting club, Perugia. They went through a whole Serie A season once with that unbeaten and didn't win the league. <laughs> Imagine that. That's Imagine that. Ravinelli played for it before Ravinelli came over here and he was he was their big star and they didn't win the league. Amazing, isn't it? Can I can I are we past the nine o'clock watershed? You'd be so <laughs> pissed. Can you imagine if they had football Twitter then the the salt? <laughs> um but um yeah fantastic with alan that was a that was a real treat as i said even for you know even for me you know who's a county lover not a county fan um that's my new saying by the way um but yeah a real a real real a real real a real real treat uh, but there's a lot going on um behind the scenes at the club at the moment lots of ins and outs yeah well listen i think I think before we go into the realms of of, of who has signed, you know, uh, and there's there's plenty to speak about there. Let's have a look at the two players that have left, because we spoke about Elliot Osborne and we spoke about Festus Arthur a couple of weeks ago with Jim. Um, this week, um, th- th- this week, Paul Turnbull and Sam Walker have left, and Paul Turnbull and Sam Walker, and I, I said this, I said this in the chat with Jim last week. Um, they are they are two players who, okay, fundamentally on the pitch, they had very important roles to do, and they did those roles magnificently well. That is why Paul Turnbull was captain. That is why Sam Walker was voted as players' player, which you could argue is, is probably the highly the most highly recognised award of them all because it's the one that the teammates that you play with, it, you know, in the championship winning season, he's the guy that gets voted players' player. These two guys off the pitch, had just as much, if not more, of an impact because they got it. Do you know how many times, Martin, did we talk about the relationship between the fans and the clubs uh, and, and that energy propelling the players on the pitch, feeding the players that, and then feeding back into the fans, bringing massive numbers of cr- huge crowds to Edgley Park every week, the biggest in years and years and years and years and years. And those two players, Bully and Sam Walker, were absolute catalysts in that relationship. You know, they got it. You look at other players as well, Sam Minahan, still with us, Matty Warburton moved on. That Bully and Walker, for me, would, they would, they, I mean, I saw them on, on numerous occasions. They, they would spend more time with the fans taking pictures, just talking. You know, some people don't want photographs and autographs. They just want to know, they just want to feel valued talking to the people they paid to go and watch every week. And when you've got 
you know, Sam Walker on, on the day of the parade, he spent a good 15 minutes playing with my little lad with his um, uh, dino trucks or whatever it's called, you know, his little toy thing, because he's got a lad of a similar age and, and he knew the characters. And it was just um, Blaze, it was called, not Dino Trucks, Blaze. I should get that one. <laughs> not but, um, um, Paw Patrol or Aquanauts. Do you know what? If anyone's interested, send me a message. <laughs> but I've I've got a, an idea for a horror film based on Paw Patrol. But literally, <laughs> that's, that is a whole... <laughs> that's, on, that's for the other podcast. That's for haircuts without... <laughs> uh, Rebels without haircuts. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, it could be. But... Um, yeah, no, and Bully and Walker, they epitomised that. Um, they they were every ounce the professional player that we needed desperately to get out of that division, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, they they provided the turnover, they provided the the cogs, if you like, whatever metaphor you want to give it, on and off the pitch, they were leaders. They will never be forgotten by this club. They are absolute royalty in this club. And I, I said it to them both. I've messaged both of them since they've left us, but I spoke with both of them. Um, certainly if I'm at the ground at any point or in Stockport at any point, they won't need to buy a beer because they've earned that right. Because you'll make sure you're nowhere near a pub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they don't drink beer. <laughs> they can't water, yeah. No, but I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, in, in, in like a the wider context, any club that's on an upward trajectory goes through phases and different players are pivotal to those phases and to where County have got now to when those two players join the club, they were absolute pivotal to get County to this position where they are now winning the championship in a strong place in the, uh, in the national league and, you know, ready to spring into that, you know, in, with the, with the, the new owners to go forward. They're p- absolutely pivotal in getting to this spot. So, you know, kudos to them, and uh, yeah, they they really deserve that point that you'll never buy them. I, th- <laughs> I think, I think if you know, if if we're going to be honest, it it wouldn't surprise you at all. We've seen Rainsy come back in the last couple of weeks as a coach. It wouldn't surprise you in in three, two or three years to see one or both of them come back in some capacity, especially Bully. You know, yeah, he's been certainly. playing in the gym yeah. for for three stints now at County. He's part of the fabric. Um, you know, I don't know how many miles they've got left on the clock between them. Um, Sam Walker tweeted pretty instantly he wants to get back into another promotion winning season. I think he's earned the right to, to, to do that. Bully's the same. He will feel that he's still got a lot to offer. Um, so, you know, go go and play your last couple of years, your two, three, four years, however long you've got left in the can. Um, I, I can't envisage ever the door being closed on those guys to come back. Certainly not while Jim Gallant's here. Hundred percent, Paul. Yeah, I, I always thought Paul Turnbull such a leader, and therefore has you know coach, uh, totally coach material. Um, and so so onto the signings. Then we've uh, since we last spoke, there's been four signings. Yeah, well, uh, there's actually been five. Um, you'd be forgiven for for mistaking the Jennings brothers as as one because um, they, they look so similar. But we are going to have to get used to to James and Connor Jennings. Connor, of course, coming back to the club. And he is a guy who Jim Cannon has spoken to me about on a number of occasions in the last couple of years. It's not been in this, it's not been in the the realm of, oh, I'm trying to sign him, oh, I'm desperate to try and sign him. But we talk about players a lot. You and I have spoken on a number of occasions how long Jim can talk to you about football. And he always speaks about Connor Jennings. It always seemed to come back to Connor about, 
He's seen Connor play in seven, nine, ten, eleven positions. Um, you know, he's got both feet. He can score a goal. He can make them happen. Bringing his brother in, it gives him that consistency up the left-hand side. But then also Mark Kitchen, uh, another accomplished left-back on that side. When Duxbury left, when Scott Duxbury left County, really, despite having the strong season last season, we, we never really filled that position. And on top of that, you could even argue that Duxbury, towards the end of his county spell, was he the player that we'd seen in his peak? With the greatest of respect, no, he probably wasn't. There was a few little holes coming up in his game. So for a while, that left-back area has been a mixture of Jamie Stock going in, and he's another name that we need to speak about in a minute. You know, Jamie Stock filling in there, Dan Cowan filling in there, Jake Kirby dropping back as a left-back for a while, didn't work. We brought in um, Joel Leasley. That, that worked and then didn't work, blew hot and cold. And we've just never seemed to fully box it off. Whereas now we've got two very good players there who can, you know, in Mark Kitchen and James Jennings, we've got Connor Jennings in front of them. Um, further along the pitch or in the central and then up front, we've got John Rooney, who in midfield, let's not make any mistakes. What a signing John Rooney is. National League Player of the Year last year. Won, uh, won the league. Uh, okay, finished on points per game, but Barrow were top of the league for the majority of the season. We're probably going to go on and win it. So he's got a championship medal to boot and he's Player of the Year. What a signing that is. What a coup. And then up top, Alex Reid, the guy who scored that goal for Fylde on that day when we crashed out the FA Trophy. Um, we know about his qualities. We know what he's got. And Jim Gannon, I think he was right to say in his interview the other day, he's just needed a place to find his feet. He's been moved around a lot the last couple of seasons, Fylde on, and then he went out on loan. You know, clubs like Dagenham, Stevenage. Now he's at a club where he can excel. He can progress under a gaffer like Jim Gannon. Um yeah, you're right to pick up on those signings. It's it's really, really exciting. And I think from a fan perspective, it's what the fans were craving. How many comments were we getting? Announced players. When's a player coming in? Well, there's five of the absolute best. And it, it totally feels like, you know, what Fylde were able to do. Not what Fylde were doing, but a better example and a better way of what Fylde were doing, you know, when they got a new owner and stuff like that and, you know, look what it did for them. But we know that County's aspirations are far beyond that. But they're the kind of players that um, that kind of ambition can can do for you. Well, let's let, let's be honest. Fylde and Salford in the last couple of years are two teams who fans, oh, they just buy this, they just buy that. And that's true. They did just do that. And there'll be a lot of people who are now saying Stockport County can't say anything because they're just doing this and they're just doing that. Stockport County is a huge club with a huge history, a huge tradition, and they have bought in a local businessman through the kudos of the club, the credibility of the club, the history of the club. We could compare this very well to the Premier League. You look at, in recent years, Man City and Chelsea, who, oh, Okay, they're big clubs, right? They're, they're big clubs, they've got history, but come on, they were not hoovering up league titles, European Cups, FA Cups, they weren't doing anything like that. Um, they get huge investment from someone who's come in and seen a business opportunity and seen it as a business, not because they love the club, not because whatever. Now, this season that's just finished, Liverpool have gone on and won the league. Now, if you were to be a critic of Liverpool, if you were to say, well, they've spent money as well. Yes, they have. Liverpool did spend big money, but they made that money 
and they've got history and credibility that says we are a massive club. You're not just coming buying any old club and turning it into a, a huge thing. You're Liverpool Football Club. Now, a county as big as Liverpool? Of course they're not. But in this division, county are by far and out the biggest club. Look at the gates. Look at the history. You know, Fylde and Salford, with all due respect to Fylde and Salford, I'm not going to sit here and preach what they should or shouldn't be doing. They don't have that history. You can you can justify calling them a, a plastic club if you wanted to. Uh, they, they've still got a place within <laughs> if you the If you wanted league. to drive some comments on this video. <laughs> 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 I could just see that word through your mind. Should I say it? Should I say it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah. The, you know, but you the, cannot say that yeah. about County. That is my point. You cannot say yeah, that 100%. about clubs steeped in history. Yeah. And you get that feeling every time you go to Edgeley, Edgeley Park. This is a proper club. You know, this club has been here doing bits for a long time. And you don't get that feeling with Salford. And the BBC isn't in love with Stockport County like it's in, in love with Salford. And yeah, you know, fair play to file what they've done over the last two years. But as you say, the difference here is that this is a proper club. It's been around for a long time, rooted in the community. Fair play to those other two clubs. Let's see what happens to them. But County are here to stay. I did enjoy filed relegation this season. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> just to add to the plastic comment. <laughs> um, listen, I, I, in, in a way, I wanted file to stay up. Because it, you know, I don't think we're blessed with a lot of relatively close trips next season. There's a lot of travelling to do, um, and uh, and I also think it was guaranteed six points. But um, they've gone down, and I think the way that, from a fan's perspective, the way that some of their speaking um, as a fan, so speaking as a fan, some of the people associated with that club and the way that they handled themselves in the last couple of years was not particularly favourable and I think um, being taken down a peg or two and being reminded that you can't just go out and buy everything which again is not I don't believe that's what County is trying to do um, yeah yeah, a, a, a little wry smile appeared on my face when Files were relegated So um, next week we have Carlton Palmer now that's really interesting because obviously he has an interesting position within the history of the club you know huge signing England player you know absolute absolute legend of the game uh, totally but an interesting journey uh, with Stockport County um, so he won't be everybody's cup of tea but the interview um, is really really interesting as a, as a county fan so so let's go back a step this is how Carlton Palmer came came about appearing on County Live. A few weeks ago, we had Kareem Fredin on, who, very classy player, very experienced in the game of football, both as a player uh, and now as a chairman. And he mentioned Carlton and he said, look, there were hard times, but now a lot of water has gone under that bridge. A lot of times passed. You can reflect on it and you can appreciate that there were bigger things going on and results on the pitch are often kind of um, a result of what is happening off the pitch. And... County, that was the beginning of a, of a massive decline for the club in league position stance. You know, we, we've crashed out from, from second tier and we've found ourselves in sixth tier. So Carlton, is a so, his, his presence is associated with the beginning of that decline. And initially, when you look back on it, it's very easy to go, it's terrible. Whatever happened when Carlton was there, terrible. 
But I felt I felt he he deserved the opportunity to kind of speak on a few things that happened because he's he's done a lot in football, whether you like him or not. He is like you say, he's played for England, played in the Premier League. He's he's a hugely experienced man, and he has a with all the time that's passed. It felt right for me to say to him, "What happened? How do you feel about everything now? Do you, you know? Are you bitter? Uh, I, I, you know? Are you? Are, do you look back and think I never want to step foot in Stockport ever again, or do you feel slightly different? You know, like Kareem said, a lot of time has passed, and although there were frustrations at the time, we've got to remember, and we have to tread quite carefully here. There was a court case between representatives of Stockport County and Carlton Palmer." Well publicised court case that you can still go back and read now. If you if you type this into Google, Manchester Evening News reports and whatever, the Guardian, the Telegraph, the big big newspapers were talking about what was happening at Stockport County because Stockport County are a big name, Carlton Palmer's a big name, and what was happening was was culturally relevant. So um, yeah, I, I thought it was good. We're not going to do the usual who might it be next week because I don't think it's fair to open up people's potential to start slagging Carlton off because he, he will see it. Of course, he will see what is said about him on social media. And um, I just felt, listen, you might watch the interview and you might still not agree. You, you know, you might say, look, that, let's leave the past in the past. But he he deserved that opportunity. And in my opinion, he spoke openly and honestly. And, and that's all we ask of people. That's all you can ask. And we always bring you great content, so it's just a different kind of great content. We'll leave it there. That's County Live for this week. Finger guns? What's coming up next week on um, motorcycles and haircuts or whatever we decided to call it? <laughs> Where would you get motorcycles from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have, to have, we'll have to have a think about that one. Well, it, certainly we've got to – you've got to do your pitch for your horror film. Oh, yeah. Mate, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you, Hollywood are going to be on the phone as soon as we as soon as we put it out. It's a great idea. Poor Hollywood, maybe. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs>